Hey folks, and welcome back to another bonus episode. This week, I am talking to my friend Bruce Tate. Um, now, Bruce, we're going to be talking about your book, Seven Languages in Seven Weeks. I actually have a copy right here. Um, now, the reason I invited you on, and I'll let you introduce yourself here in a minute, um, is because we're doing it for our book club book. And so if you want to pick up Seven Languages in Seven Weeks, uh, you can come and, and join the fun. Uh, Bruce has actually agreed to come to some of the calls I don't, I don't know exactly what the schedules look like as far as when he can make it, but yeah, looking forward to just talking through some of this stuff. Um, and yeah, you were also uh, one of the panelists on Elixir Mix a while back. And yeah, what else are you y'all doing? Uh, I know you run Groxio as well. Why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself instead of me doing it? Yeah, my name is Bruce, and, and I've been an editor in the Elixir community for a while. Um, I've taken a step back from that, but I still write books from time to time. I'm working with one, with with uh, another one of those Elixir mixers, Sophie DiBenedetto, mm-hmm. and that's Programming Phoenix Live View, so that's exciting. I have a couple of oh, things nice. happening. There is a conference coming up, and that is called Gig City Elixir. And Gig City Elixirs in Chattanooga, Tennessee, that runs, oh, um, in, let, let me, I should have prepared the dates, but <laughs> let's see. It is May 19th through the, the 21st, I believe, or actually oh, the wow, that's 18th coming through up. the 20th. That's coming up, right? And so like a lot of conferences, we, we've been down for a while through the through the whole COVID scare. Mm-hmm. And um and we're meeting again in purpose, and so that that feels pretty good. And um, would appreciate any kind of support that that your audience has. I'm sure that there's some elixir coders there, and maybe some new budding elixir coders. You know, the the book doesn't talk about elixir explicitly, but it talks about some of right. the languages that inspired elixir, and actually through this book itself. Nice, yeah, and I think elixir's in seven more languages in seven weeks, if I remember. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, um, it's in Erlang, which is kind of the model underneath it uh-huh. all, is in there right. as well. And it has, you know, the macros from Clojure. It has the mm-hmm. syntax of Ruby. And it has the actor-based model in Scala and, and a lot of them, really. And um, kind of those those prologue roots as well. So, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Good deal. So uh, just to kind of get things rolling, I'm a little curious what inspired the book i mean you know seven languages especially in seven weeks it seems kind of intense yeah i think i think you can kind of tell that the language is tongue tongue in cheek you're right. not going to learn seven languages in seven weeks right especially well i mean you might learn them well enough to put on a resume but uh-huh. <laughs> but um but it's it's really what you're going to do is right. Just get a glimpse of the soul of seven different languages. And at the time, I wasn't planning on writing any kind of book about this. I just had a sense that things were moving and changing. And this was in 2010. So we're a couple of years after the paper, the free lunch is over. And that's the mm-hmm. one that's that, uh, you know, where I started to look around and some of the cool kids that I was following were leaving the room and going somewhere else to play. Right. And I said, gosh, what's happening? And it turns out that the free lunch is over when I read it. I said, oh, gosh, the, the processors are getting you know, more and more mm-hmm. compact to where we can't shrink them down anymore. We're kind of from a physics standpoint, we're out of room. So we have to right. stack the processors up like plates in a pantry. And now it's not uh, we're trying to optimize something different. We're not 
trying mm-hmm. to optimize the memory footprint anymore. We're trying to optimize concurrency. And right. so when I saw that those things were changing, I was afraid that I'd kind of jumped on the wrong horse. And in a dead panic, started to do some research. And then some of my friends told me, well, you should bring some people along with you. And, right. um, you know, gosh, I, I hadn't used any functional languages at the time. And uh, <laughs> so that was, that was a scary thing. But we'll get to that conversation a little later. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting. And I, I remember kind of getting to that point with some of the things that were out there. And... um. You know, we've seen a lot of languages updating their concurrency models and stuff like that since 2010. And so, yeah, it's definitely uh, a world that's changing. I'm I'm kind of curious then, is that how you picked some of the languages that are in here? Like Erlang, for example, right? It it has a very interesting uh, concurrency model. Um, I'm not as familiar, honestly, with like uh, IO or Prolog or some of the other ones in here, but. Yeah, so you you caught my my dirty secret. You know, all the books in the the seven language kind of group, the, or the seven and seven kind of mm-hmm. um, kind of that line of books, they tell a story, right? Okay. So it isn't you know let's have a vote, right? Let's let's mm-hmm. see what people want to see, and then kind of build a table of contents based on that. What what I was really trying to do was get from a very dynamic, very object-oriented language and into some different territories in ways that weren't going to break my brain too hard, right? Right. And so I I got from all the way from Ruby, which is uh, interpreted, dynamic, Mm -hmm. um, very much object-oriented. And then we kind of moved through this prototype oriented. So we're kind of drifting away from object oriented into more concurrent. Then we had prologue, which we're kind of drifting away from the, the imperative and more to the declarative, which means mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of the way that, that you want people to work with you. Rather than giving you a list of tasks, they just tell you what to do and right. let you figure it out. Right. So that's an imperative language. And then, and then, I take that through a number of different type models and then a number mm-hmm. of different, you know, kind of the, the core thing of the language is different. And, and so what you have is a narrative that gets, that gets a typical programmer to understanding what the core issues are when you're going from object-oriented to functional programming languages. That makes sense. And, you know, I mean, some of these languages... I'm definitely interested in learning more about, about, I mean, you know, Scala, Erlang, Clojure, you know, those have all, I think, grown in popularity in, in the last uh, several years. Um, you know, I still don't see a lot of people writing Haskell, um, but I, I know that, that, I know that they've grown. I just don't think they've grown like the other languages have. And so it's, it's kind of interesting to see that progression, but um, yeah. So uh, when, if, if I'm getting into this book, let's say I pick it up and I decide I want to read it or, you know, you come to the book club, right? Topendevs.com slash book club. If you come to the book club and you're like, okay, well, you know, what do I need to know? What do I need to do to prepare to go through this book? And we're going to do it in eight weeks, right? Kind of set the stage and then uh, go through each language. But yeah, h- how, do I, how do I prepare? How do I start thinking about the approach to this book? 
I think the main thing is to let go of your expectations, right? So you're not mm-hmm. going to, you know, if you're anything like I was, then you're you're not going to be ready for all of the ideas that are going to come at you and how quickly right. they're going to come at you. And um, so I think probably the preparation is to let go of the expectations and just kind of get excited, kind of read a little bit about the, the ones that you're most excited about and find out the buzz about what has you excited. Mm-hmm. And... I have a couple of suggestions of what a non-trivial problem looks like in each one. And right. um, some of mine are kind of awful now. Like I kind of cringe when I look <laughs> at the, the Haskell chapter. Um, some right. of the languages um, might be a little bit harder to play with. Like IO is mm-hmm. an example. IO is was done for a reason, right? It's a, it's a minimalist prototype-oriented language. And I wanted to kind of touch on the ideas in JavaScript because JavaScript mm-hmm. can be written in a much more functional way. Right. But you can't attack something like JavaScript in just um, 30, 35 pages. So I didn't try. Right. Um, but yeah, so so I think that probably probably what you need to do is just you know, kind of kind of relax and and um and think of think of what gets you excited about each one. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, one other thing that I'm I've kind of picked up on some of this, and uh, it kind of harkens back a little bit to pragmatic programmers, where they where they said to learn a new programming language every year, right? Um, as I've kind of picked up other languages, gotten involved in other ecosystems, I still primarily write code in Ruby. But I found that, you know, those different approaches, the different conversations, the different uh, ways of thinking about things, you know, in these other languages has changed the way that I write code in a language that I've used for, what, like 18 years now. And so um, what kinds of things do you think people are going to see and learn and grow in as they work through the book? First, let me say that Ruby will always have a part of my heart. And mm-hmm. the the idea that that the culture and the kindness that Matt's built, mm-hmm. that that whole the whole concept of of doing things because they they feed your soul, right? Mm-hmm. Treating people the right way because it feeds your soul. That's right. gosh, it is it has left a mark on me. I don't know how you can make a language, a language to code computers with soul and with kindness, but Matt's did it, you know, it's, it's, um, and gosh, I, I find myself tearing up thinking about all the kindnesses that Matt's gave Mm me, like even gosh, writing this book and talking about, um, other languages that I, um, I, approached him, asked him, would you like to answer some questions for this book? And he said, sure. And he's always been so good and kind to me. And I think that that's really some of the kinds of things that you'll find when you undertake a journey, right? So mm-hmm. an unexpected one for me, if I could, if I could uh, take us off track again mm-hmm. and um, into a, a personal story that probably some of your readers have heard. But one of the things that happened 
when I wrote Seven Languages in Seven Weeks, or when I started writing the book, was that, you know, I wasn't ready to write this book because I had a pretty isolated worldview that, that it was, mm -hmm. you know, Java and Ruby and other object-oriented languages. And right. I started getting off of this track pretty much immediately from, from Ruby to, I skipped IO at first, got mm -hmm. into Prologue and Erlang, and was really in over my head. Right. And my publisher said, you know, we should start getting this thing out for review. And I was thinking, <laughs> oh man, do we have to, right? Because right. you know, you don't want to yeah. write about things that you don't know about. You want to write about things that 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 right. where, that make you look smart. And so it turns out that my publisher said, well, I know that you have your set of Ruby developers, but let me throw in a right. couple of other ones. And so I said, that's cool. And so she she said, well, um, I sent sent them out to review. Didn't think of it. And I got a note that came back that said, your first review. And, you know, I, I saw this just started turning pages and there was red ink. Uh -huh. I said, oh, boy, <laughs> I'm, I'm right. really, you know, so it's, um, you know, but it was weird because I, I saw Ruby was blank. Uh -huh. Then I saw Erlang next. Uh -huh. And the comment that I zeroed in on was just this big, long one that says, I get the sense that this that this uh, author understands Erlang very well. And I didn't. Right. Uh -huh. you know, it'll become clear why I said that sh shortly. But um he said, I don't get the same sense for prologue. And then right. just completely shredded the, the prologue chapter. Uh-huh. And I said, What have I gotten myself into? And then I looked, I flipped back at the note to see who actually wrote the comments. It was Joe Armstrong, the creator oh, wow. of Erlang. <laughs> Erlang. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he has um he's basically said, you know, his his first love may not even be Erlang. It's it's probably right. prologue. He loves prologue, right? Uh-huh. So anyway, Joe coached me through prologue. Oh right? wow. And the reason that that the um that the examples that I wrote re resonated with Joe was that I based them on Joe's examples, right? So he said, oh, right. this is the most brilliant Erlang that I've ever seen. He's like, it's yours, Joe. It's yours, you know. Yeah, it's your code. <laughs> and, right, right, right. And so, you know, I kind of um, grabbed the core ideas and, and structured uh -huh. the, the syntax the same way and everything. But anyway, in, in Prologue, he said, you're trying to do too much. And um, let's try to solve a problem. Well, let's try to solve... Uh, Two problems. First, let's let's do the map coloring problem. So we did that, uh -huh. and, and it was um, kind of a toy problem, but very beautiful. Right. Um, and 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 the prologue description is basically you say um, you know these dates are diff different colors, mm -hmm. and these colors are different from each other, and now you know spit out spit out the um, the formulas that that build a collection of states that that right. don't connect to each other right mm -hmm. and um and essentially it, it does it and i say you know that's cool and um, i'm being polite and i'm just stone cold terrified and then um i'm i'm with i'm i'm connected with joe um, with joe and and we're working uh -huh. with the the pseudoku problem 
Right. And which which I thought was appropriate because we started the book in, in Japan. That's like a Japanese word problem and um, uh-huh. you know, to kind of connect to the languages and things. So right. um but Joe says, okay, so you have a good foundation here. You've established the rules. And I said, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. He says, well, just see what happens. And then so I ran what I had so far, and it spits out the answer. And I'm mm-hmm. stone cold silent, and Joe Armstrong is laughing, right? He's <laughs> laughing. He says, now you've had your prologue moment, and you can talk about this language. Now we are prologue brothers, you know? So he's just he's just laughing and just hamming it up and um, so that's the kind of experience that can happen when you when you take the, you know, I just took this long boat ride. Right. And one of the experts is called the Great Loop. So we basically circle the eastern United States plus parts of Canada. Right. And one of the experts told us, you have to get off the magenta line, you know, that line that goes right down the middle of your GPS. Right. It's mm-hmm. it's the intercoastal waterway that's basically maps things for us. He says, get off that magenta line. And that's what right. Joe was telling me. He was saying, get off that magenta line, start exploring, doing non-trivial things. And, you know, you're going to be frustrated, mm-hmm. but you're also going to find joy if you're open to the experience. And, and you know, right. And I was and, and I did. And gosh, I met met people in writing that book that I probably wouldn't have met any other way and um, and changed the trajectory of my career for sure. Yep. That's really cool. Yeah, you're uh, I, I, the analogy, right, of getting off the magenta line. I think I think that kind of embodies what this book is about, too, where it's just, you know, I mean, it's real easy to stay on your on your path. Right. It's OK. Well, you know, I could do Ruby forever. Right. You know, I don't have to branch out and I wouldn't have to, you know, uh, but I've met awesome people in these other communities because I've gotten involved. And, you know, it sounds, it sounds like you had a pretty similar experience there. Yeah, very much so. Very much. There's, there's been so many kindnesses uh, along the way. Um, I remember the, the, the result of all this, all this research in seven languages was that, um, you know, I want to, I wanted to find a language that was after Ruby. Mm-hmm. And to me, it didn't, none of them actually clicked in the way that I hoped that they would. Right. And um, one of the things that did happen was that other people were, were embarking on the same journey at the same mm-hmm. time. So that's, that's why it became popular. It's just, it's just right. a timing thing. A lot of us were kind of looking at what was next. And, and one of the people who was looking was Jose. Buddy. Jose. Yep. And Jose um, basically you know, one of one of his one of his bits of research, his stops of research along the way, was seven languages in seven weeks. And he said, "Gosh, I I, I saw Erlang, and I saw that I saw that um, that supervisor model on top mm-hmm. of it, and it was just shining." Yeah. And um, yeah, so you never you never know what kinds of relationships these types of journeys can can kind of bring to you. Yeah, for the listener who's not familiar, Jose Valim is somebody that I think you and I both initially know from the Ruby community who created the Elixir programming language, which is built on top of the Erlang virtual machine and some of the other underlying things that, that make it run. So Yeah. And, I think that's and, really cool. And if you are if you're one of these Ruby people 
who has dipped your toe in the elixir water. One, I'm going to say that again because I my dog was yipping. It's all good. So, so if you're one of the people in the Ruby community who's dipped your toe in the water a couple of times, mm-hmm. you'll notice a lot that was that was in the languages in this book. Right. Probably more because we were all we were both doing the exploration at the same time with different mm-hmm. goals in mind. You'll see macros like the ones in Closure. You'll see OTP like mm-hmm. the OTP in in Erlang, uh, which is kind of the model for processes concurrent right. and concurrency. You'll see the syntax from Ruby. It's it'll it'll be very familiar yep. to you. And if you're in the Closure community, you'll also see something common. And if you're in the Haskell community, you'll see something common, like the math mm-hmm. behind the um, the lazy streams. It's very similar. In fact, a lot of the a lot of the math that um, that is how the streams are unified um, mm-hmm. across across the different collections and and the the lazy and eager um, came right out of Haskell. That's cool. Yeah, so you'll find something you're familiar with. Good deal. So one other thing that I'm curious. So did you come up with this list of languages right off the bat, or was it something you kind of evolved to? Well, there were a number of languages that everybody wanted to see. Right. I would put Haskell on that list. Um, mm-hmm. Erlang was a little bit down that list, but was on it for most people. Most people wanted to see Python, but I knew Ruby better and I didn't mm-hmm. want to spend my time in that kind of research. Right. JavaScript was on everybody's list at the time, 2010, right? It makes a lot right. of sense. People were starting yep. to write some object oriented code, but they were starting to nose in the more functional direction. And mm-hmm. JavaScript is a great language for doing some of that because of its prototype yep. capabilities. So some of them weren't on anybody's list. Mm-hmm. Like IO wasn't on anybody's list, right. but I needed to fill the prototype slot. And probably if I were to do it again, maybe I would pick IO again, just because it's so beautiful and minimalist. Right. But also, Lua would have been a really good fit for mm-hmm. that kind of discussion. It's also a prototype oriented, has a, a lot of cool um, usage uses. So, uh, building something non trivial in that language will be a lot of fun now. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, but most of, most of the languages that people wanted to see, like people wanted to see Lisp. They probably mm-hmm. m- mentioned uh, four or five of them, and, and I settled on Closure. I thought it mm-hmm. made a lot of sense at the time and still do. Right. Um, so, so yeah, most of the languages were the popular ones. And then you kind of layer that over the story that you want to tell. Right. And the story is that running out of space on the chip. Yeah. Uh, so some of us right. are going to have to move based on the problems that we're trying to solve. And, um, and I was one of them. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it turns out that if you're a Java developer, and you're worried about concurrency. Well, there are a lot of cool things that are happening now that weren't happening mm-hmm. back when I wrote the book, right? So the structured yep. concurrency that uh, that Brian Getz is working on, for example, that's really cool mm-hmm. stuff. And but that wasn't around back at the time. So right. what I needed was was a story arc 
to match my research. And that's what I strove to do. Very, very cool. So um, it looks like there's a specific structure to like each language, like just flipping through it. I, I, I'll admit I haven't read it yet. Um, but there's like day one, day two, day three. Um, what's kind of the structure for each language? Like, what are you walking me through? Yeah, so it's just it's just three days. The first day is familiarity, and it's typically in a REPL if there is one for the language. Mm-hmm. And the last day is doing something non-trivial in the language. And then right. the other day is in between. But I didn't want to fill seven days because, you know, we don't right. we don't code every day. We need to, we also right. need time to play. So you have to mm-hmm. build that into, you know, such a hypothetical schedule, which is really just hypothetical right. anyway. We've already established you can't learn seven languages in, right. in seven weeks. But but yeah, so that's the idea. Uh kind of get get familiar. Um so maybe write a small program, then write a non-trivial program. I think that that'd probably right. be a pretty good, a pretty good goal for for each each week. Makes sense. Is is this a the same process you would recommend to somebody who wanted to learn a language that's not in the book? You know, kind of yeah, you know. So right. So I played with this. Yeah, I played with this model with the Groxio company, right? So I played uh-huh. with the model of saying you know what, learn languages. And, um, and if you do, you'll be a better programmer. Mm -hmm. Even if you're working with languages that you never touch in your professional day-to-day job. Right. Right. I still believe that's true. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't believe you can get people to buy the concept though. Um, so, well, I can't, (laughs) maybe somebody (laughs) can, maybe somebody can, but, um, but yeah, so I think, I think I'll, I'll say again, come at the problem with curiosity when you want to mm-hmm. learn a language. Yeah. And um, so basically spend your spend the early, early few, I don't know, days, hours, just kind of reading and becoming familiar with uh, with what the the trope, right? The mm-hmm. uh, kind of the traditional problem solved in in the language with ruby it's the blog with um with elixir it's a chat room um Mm -hmm. and then kind of then so solve that problem and then take take steps in the direction of kind of the sweet spot of the language and for elixir that is concurrency that normally takes the form of something like live view, right? Which is um, interactive pages and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Haskell, it probably has something to do with types and monads. Maybe it's a maze right. solver with, um, with prologue. It would be some type of a logic constraint problem, right? Mm-hmm. I have this many teams and this many, um, this many holidays and and these constraints right. and and try to try to find a schedule that'll fill all those, right? So um, yeah, yeah, that's that's how I I I'd say attack the problem. It's you know find out find the trope, right? The the stuff mm-hmm. that everybody is saying everybody's doing. Um, and write something simple, then write something non-trivial. And um, if you're excited, learn more. If you're not, yep. move on. All right, cool. 
Um, is there anything else that you think we ought to know about this book or any other stories you want to tell us? Let's see about the book. I don't necessarily think so. Um, stories. Uh, let's we'll, we'll, we'll save some for another time. Okay. But I would like to put in another plug for mm -hmm. seven languages in seven weeks. Um, if you want to play with Elixir, um, and this is this is a good language for people who are interested in the seven languages in seven weeks concept, but not necessarily, but don't necessarily know the language yet. That's a it's a great language mm -hmm. that builds in many of the different concepts in the book. Um, if you want to play with that, Groxio is a great platform for doing so. So you can, mm -hmm. um, gosh, you could even dive in to and, and find a non-trivial problem for weeks and weeks and weeks. If you're if you're into this idea of just learning to learn, of taking an afternoon mm -hmm. and um, and kind of doing something that hurts your brain a little bit, right? Yeah, uh, you know, kind of. Working through the concurrency models, you know, try to build something with OTP, try to try to solve a mastermind game or a maze solver or the game of mm -hmm. life or something like that. So Groxio is a great way to do that. I want to put in another plug for the um, for the conference that that we have going on. That's Gig City Elixir. And that is May 19th and 20th. And I think we have a training day on the 18th. And um we really pride ourselves on great hospitality and we try to um, we try to help some underrepresented underrepresented populations by giving away tickets um, for people who might nor might not normally have a voice. So I think that's a it's a good way to do it. You know, it's um, yep. you know, we, we don't have to we don't have to be super politically active or anything like that. We could just um, we could just offer offer um, this service for people who don't necessarily ha have a voice. So, um, so we do a lot of that. We'll give away as many as 10 to 20% of our tickets. So oh, wow. um, if you like that idea, come along. We'll have the creator of, of nerves. We'll have the creator of the ash framework and um, I'll be speaking as well. And so, um, yeah. And then the last thing, last plug is if you're interested in this idea of the great loop that we talked about, I will be, we will be publishing a book a little bit later. It's, it's in the final pieces of the production process. The book is going to be titled Currently Away. And so this is the first time I've announced that. Oh, cool. Got the scoop here. And I'm just going to remind people we're going to have Bruce along for uh, some of our calls. We do them on Tuesday mornings at nine o'clock mountain time. I think that's 11 o'clock Eastern time. Um, I've had some people say, well, why don't you do it after work? But um, it seems like a good number of the people who want to be involved are in Europe. And it just it, doing it in the evening in the U.S. just makes it really hard for them to do it because it gets late at night. So uh, that's why we do it at night in the morning. But, uh, yeah, look forward to having you along, Bruce, and look forward to having anybody who wants to join in, join in. Um, and you can just go sign up at topendevs.com slash book club. And, uh, yeah, uh, I'm on the calls. We've got a handful of other people that show up every week and it'll be fun. So uh, feel free to join in. And I'll definitely make a session or two. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, thanks again for coming. And until next time, folks, Max out.